This is a sermon called Starting Over, and I'm Dr. David Gushy. Our passages today are from Psalm 51 and Romans 12. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Let's dive in. Psalm 51, 1-2 Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. In Romans 12, you'll remember this passage. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The Christian life is built on a handful of core practices that we do in a disciplined way. At least that's what I think. And I believe that one of these practices is the practice of not just of occasional repentance, but what my teacher Glenn Stassen called continuous repentance. So continuous repentance is, I think, fundamental to starting over, which is fundamental to thinking about a new year. As we think about 2020, the year that is mercifully ending, and 2021, the year that is mercifully dawning, perhaps our contribution is a practice of continuous repentance. At least that's what I ask you to think with me about this morning. Continuous repentance is an aspect of the Christian life in which, as followers of Jesus, we, how shall I say it, adopt a posture of identifying and grieving over sin in our lives, taking full responsibility for sin and its consequences without evasion or excuse, Confessing our sins to God and, where necessary, uh, to the other people around us, including especially those we've sinned against. Humbly requesting God's forgiveness and asking for a fresh start with God. And committing to concrete changes in the way we live in keeping with what God is showing us about his will. This is, I think, how Christians start over. It's a much more profound way of starting over in a new year than New Year's resolutions. It's the path of continuous repentance. Now, Christians have sometimes made the mistake of thinking of repentance, if we even think about that word at all anymore, as a one-time action undertaken only at that pivotal moment when we commit our lives to Jesus and eventually, or shortly thereafter, are baptized. Only then do we acknowledge the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Only then do we repent, and maybe we never do it again. Um, or perhaps maybe some of us have, have come from traditions where repentance is seen like an old-fashioned word or a guilt word or something from the religious past, something from the world of legalism that we want to leave behind. But I don't think that's what it is at all. In fact, I don't understand what the Christian life is without a healthy place for repentance. Let's think about the passages for this morning. In Psalm 51, um, we learn right from the beginning, even in the header, that this is a prayer of King David written, quote, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, which means to be quite concrete, which is how you have to repent in a quite concrete manner. After he had stolen another man's wife, slept with her, probably against her will, almost certainly, gotten her pregnant, 
and had her husband purposely killed in battle to avoid embarrassment for himself. And who was it who did this? Some newcomer? Some nobody? No, it was King David, the king of Israel, covenant partner with God, linchpin of the Davidic dynasty uh, from which the line of Jesus comes, as we've been hearing about during the Christmas season. One described as a man after God's own heart. It was David who did this awful series of sinful things, cost um, another man his life, cost a woman her husband, um, and shook his own kingship. But you know, rather than thinking that David was not really a man after God's own heart because of these sins, maybe it is precisely his willingness to repent, and not just once, that is what made him a man after God's own heart. You know, that prayer in Psalm 51 is one of the most significant and memorable in the whole Bible. Do you remember these lines? I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, God, have I sinned. And ultimately, all sin is against God, ultimately. Against you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. So David acknowledges his sin quite concretely, and then says this, You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That's Psalm 51, 3-7. And then these famous lines, Created me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. And then, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God. Yes, bloodshed that he himself had caused. And finally, you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What a beautiful prayer. Psalm 51, in my view, exemplifies every element of continuous repentance. David honestly identifies his sins, and he truly grieves over them. David takes full responsibility for his sins. He names them. He takes responsibility for them. He doesn't blame anybody. It isn't Bathsheba's fault. It isn't anybody's fault but his own. David confesses his sin to God, and in this case by writing a prayer and eventually making it public. He confesses his sin to the entire Jewish community, all of whom have been negatively affected, though of course nobody more than Bathsheba and Uriah. David humbly requests God's forgiveness and asks for a fresh start with God. David commits to concrete life change in keeping with God's will. Having repented and made a, a clean breast of, of his sin, he now makes a commitment to start over, to never do anything like that again. And he didn't do anything like that again. Not from Scripture as far as we know. So, Psalm 51 might be a pretty good place to start this year if you're thinking about 
a fresh start where you are in relationship with God. It's been a hard year. Who knows uh, what each of us have suffered, sacrificed, and maybe bad moments in our relationships with God and other people. At the turn of the year, it's a pretty good opportunity to read some Psalm 51 and think about how it might apply to us. As we turn to the New Testament, uh, the passage is Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're thinking about the Apostle Paul here. You know, Paul often spoke about repentance. It was certainly at the very center of his journey, his life. Um, I mean, this was the man who had led in the persecution of the early Christians, including to death. We know this in the case of Stephen. We don't know who else. But Paul had blood on his hands, and he knew it. And his path was a path of misplaced religious zeal, and he knew that too. The passage I've selected for this morning helps us focus on um, either, you might say, the tail end of the process of continuous repentance, or I prefer to think of it as the basic life stance of the Christian, of the follower of Jesus. So Paul is, I mean, you might say, this is what you do after you've repented or as the part of repentance, but you also might say, this is just what we do as Christians. And you might remember this famous verse, Romans 12, 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your, uh, it depends on translation, uh, spiritual worship, acceptable worship, logical worship. Like his fellow Jew, King David, Paul here is, is, is making reference to the temple sacrificial system, while basically, just like with David, recognizing that the sacrifice that God wants from us is not a ram or a goat, but a heart a body, a life, a broken and contrite spirit where we, have, where we have sinned, a change in life where we need to change. Paul is here saying that what Jesus asks of us is a life that is laid on the altar, not an animal. God wants not dead lambs and burnt heifers, but committed lives in which all aspects of unholiness and meanness Baseness and slander and dishonesty, malice and cruelty and unkindness and injustice and lovelessness are burnt out of us as we lay ourselves down on the altar for the sake of Jesus. That's what we're laying down on the altar. And then Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Part of being a living sacrifice is a reshaping of the self. We move, this is, this is language of form. The Greek is about, you know, morphe, form. Our natural state in the world we live in is conformity with the world. But what we're being called to here is transformation so that we look less like whatever the world is prescribing, whatever the, whatever the, average sculpture is you might say of a life in the world and instead we let jesus chip off those parts that don't fit with his form uh, my teacher glenn stassen liked to talk about christomorphic discipleship which is a very fancy way of saying the form of christ to be reformed re-sculpted reshaped so that our self looks like jesus self as far as possible 
And Paul is saying that how this happens is through the renewing of our minds. So it has a lot to do with how we think and what we give ourselves to think about. And then Paul concludes that little passage by saying, so that you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the Christian life, the kind of culmination of a process of repentance, is about discernment. We wake up each day and we ought to be asking, God, help me to discern your will today, your good and acceptable and perfect will. We're not asking, what can I get away with today or what's the minimum today? But what do you want from me in, in its wholeness, in its fullness today? What does your perfect will look like? Help me, Lord, to strain every effort then having discerned what we I think your will is to then to actually live it out. Because in Scripture, the Christian life is never just about knowing the right doctrines or having the right belief system, but about practicing the will of God in daily life in every kind of concrete situation. So, brothers and sisters, my challenge to you as 2021 begins is this. Never be too proud to repent. The Christian who is too proud to repent is in serious spiritual trouble. Always know that you don't know everything. I sure, I sure don't. We've not arrived at perfection. Always reset your posture to wanting to know and do the will of God as we have met God in Jesus. Is that what you want as this year dawns? How hard are you willing to work to get there? What might need to be left behind in 2020 as unworthy of a repentant life in 2021? Is it time for some starting over for you? It is for me. So how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we get to the mode of continuous repentance as a practice? I have a couple of ideas here. I would say, whether literally or metaphorically, we get on our knees before God and humble ourselves. The first of the year is a good time to remind ourselves that there is only one God, that we have committed our lives to serving God, and that we are not God. We bow before the God who made us, sustains us, redeems us, and to whom we will return at the end of our days. So humble yourself before God, sisters and brothers. And then get honest with yourself about sin in your life, wherever it is. If we've been hiding or casting blame on others or making excuses for sin, it's time to stop. Instead, we go in naked honesty to God and we tell God the truth about what we know about ourselves. We ask for forgiveness instead of pretending that we don't need it. Our forgiveness needs, that request needs to go to God, but if we have been hurting other people, it needs to go to other people as well. We need to be ready to identify needed changes in our lives, wherever these are, in our language, our um, handling of conflict, anger, substances, money, sexuality, whatever it might be. Where there is a variance between God's will and our lives, that's called sin. 
And we approach that humbly and we ask God to help us eradicate those patterns that we need to change. To do all this, we're going to need to deepen our spiritual practices. As the new year begins, I ask you to take an inventory. How's your scripture reading? I know we've been separated from church now and meeting in public in most contexts for months, and it's easy to drift away, but the Bible's always there. Smart Christian books are always available. I've got some behind me on the shelf here. Uh, I bet you do too. We can plug into worship opportunities where they exist. We can connect with Christian friends. We can pray more. We can ask uh, for our, our sisters and brothers to, to, for a little more honesty in our relationship with them and a little more support where we're struggling. We look for contexts in which we can be challenged and yet still be accepted. We look for fertile spiritual environments in which we can grow. I challenge you to have a serious program of Bible study. You know, <laughs> I was a convert as a 16-year-old, and that church taught me a lot of stuff, which I wasn't very good at. But one thing they did teach me that never went away is each day should begin with Scripture. So even now, um, almost without exception, each day, I, I don't know how to do a day if I don't get up, put on my coffee, and open the Bible first. Right now I'm reading um, uh, an Old Testament reading, a Psalm, a New Testament reading every day. I'm actually working through Isaiah as well. What's your program? It doesn't have to be mine, but you need some kind of Bible reading program. And I challenge you to uh, take advantage of whatever um, uh, teaching and worship opportunities are available to you. Take some notes. Think about what is being said. Uh, deepen uh, the inner life. You know, the world is sometime in 2021 is going to open up and we're going to be able to be out there in the world. But I hope that we won't go out into the world again without taking the opportunity of one last inward look and a deepening of our relationship with God. No matter what, that's what we need more than anything anyway. And so my prayer for you is, um, is that as 2021 begins, you'll start it with a posture of repentance, kind of an inner cleansing, and a fresh start. And remember that if we have committed our lives to Jesus, Jesus wants all of us. I remember when I was baptized, I was told, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And Savior, we know what that means, but Lord means that Jesus is in charge. There is no aspect of our lives that does not belong to him. We're not free to bracket off this or that section and say it's not his. And so without evasion, without hiding, without pretending and without excuses, we belong to Jesus. Repentance helps us to identify areas where we're not quite belonging to Jesus and to say, okay, we'll leave those behind. So this might be a good week to do that as we begin 2021 with a fresh start with Jesus. May God bless you all.